morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. And today is Monday, so we're going to do Movie Monday like we used to do in the past, and we're looking at another technology-focused documentary entitled Coded Bias. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Coded Bias brings up a lot of good points and a lot of things that we can say about it. Definitely. I thought that it was a fantastic documentary, much in the vein of documentaries like The Social Dilemma, um, but different. And I think I'll go so far as to say I may have liked it a bit more than The Social Dilemma. Um, how, how did you feel when you just flat out compare the two? I really liked it. It uh, uh, they uh, she stayed to the theme, she stuck to the to the objective, followed it through, and had a lot of different uh, perspectives, but really didn't deviate from from the main objective of the film. And I thought she did a really good job. Yes. They all did a good job on that. Joy Joy is the main character. She did a good job. Uh, the director is Shalini. She did a great. They all did a great job. Yes, it's a Shalini Kantaya film, and it premiered at Sundance, and I think that it premiered to a pretty uh, warm reception. I don't, didn't know that they had Sundance in 2020 due to the pandemic, but they did. And this is an example of, I think, and of course it's easy for me to say, but um, you have a filmmaker who's a woman of color, and the principal character, Joy Bualamwine, I feel bad for butchering her name, Bulamwini, um, as a woman of color. And um, so what you get really is these diverse perspectives, these female perspectives, we can take a look. There's no picture of Shalini Kantaya, but here's the cast of, um, so Joy, the PhD candidate at the MIT Media Lab, and Meredith and Kathy and Silky and Zainep and Amy and Trine and Virginia and Isame. And um, you have to get down to the ninth listed uh, <laughs> person to get a guy. And it's a, it's a man of color. Um, so, I mean, I do think that exposing different voices does give you a different perspective. If it was a bunch of, you know, white software engineers talking about facial recognition, you would have had a different story. And so I do think that these alternative voices are there are extraordinarily important to, to, to have in film. And it's cool that there's people out there that are making them. And it's cool that, um, you know, this documentary was made, it was so well made that it got into Sundance. And I think that's, that's, it's all good. And I think also the views were very, very well presented. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were strong, there were strong arguments. Uh, and uh, even though it was from a different perspective, the arguments were very good, and they had a, they had very strong, powerful things to say, and uh, and it was a good movie. It made everyone think, uh, and actually, uh, I think, uh, let me emphasize everyone, <laughs> not just people of color. Yes, it made everyone think of every of everything. It doesn't matter. People can be prejudiced all over the place, but they brought it up to the forefront. He says, look, here is exactly what is happening. You can talk about it, but then they demonstrated it. And I think Joy did it did an excellent job demonstrating how this bias uh, can be so so prolific. And yes. we don't even know it. We don't and, even know it. And she's a, I think she was a great protagonist because she had um, a lot of warmth, a lot of optimism. And she was uh, very, very smart and very competent. But... I will start by saying, you know, the movie poster, and we can sort of give away a bit of the movie, has this mask here, and then there's a picture of Joy here with a Jabberwocky-style face mask for those who are listening. Um, mm -hmm. There's a dance group called the Jabberwockies, and they wear this type of expressionless white face mask. All the members of the dance troupe do. So for those of you who don't know, so she was experimenting at the MIT Media Lab when she started her PhD thesis, uh, there's a course where you take inspiration from science fiction and you try to make it reality. So she tried to make this mirror that would sort of pump her up and through software. And so they showed her she bought a Logitech webcam and she was trying to use open source face recognition technology and it couldn't recognize her face. And she's like, what the hell's wrong here? And it didn't recognize her face until she put on a white mask. And that's when she realized that prevailing facial recognition algorithms they were really good at recognizing white men and really bad at recognizing women of color. 
Um, and so that realization in that class at MIT early on in her PhD uh, journey changed the trajectory of her life. And uh, so she started started to do research down the field of these algorithms. They're made mostly by white dudes, and they're really good at identifying white dudes, but they're really bad at identifying people of color, especially women of color. And as a result, when you deploy them, that bias gets perpetuated. And that's sort of the whole... Uh, that's not the whole enchilada, but that's a lot of what the movie's based on. You sort that's of the beginning. That's yes. the beginning. That's the premise. And from that premise, uh, it, it actually demonstrated it. But then there began to be uh, they began uh, to have studies, uh, scientific studies, statistical studies to show how the percentages did fall out exactly what she found anecdotally from that experiment. Uh, other types of uh, controlled experiments demonstrated the same thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the hierarchy, uh, statistically significant hierarchy, was uh, 90 to 100%, high 90, 98, 99% accuracy for white men. And it went all the way down to, I think it was like 60-some percent uh, for black women. Uh, and then the range was men, women, and then black men and black women. And it was just, it was significant. Mm -hmm. And you say, and this is not people, these are the algorithms, but then the algorithms are made by people and what people, and there's where the start, there's where the story started. And, and, and I want to say that the story that when she continued on, uh, began pulling a lot of things in because she was, she was a, well, she was a PhD candidate, PhD student in, in computer science, but that goes into analytics too. Mm -hmm. What types of analytics uh, were they using? What type of algorithms were they using? And actually, she even started the uh, Algorithmic Justice League to say the biases within algorithms uh, that she began to see, she began to uh, uh, measure, and other people began to demonstrate. And uh, so she has this, this uh, uh, she was the founder of this Algorithmic Justice League mm -hmm. to say, you know, we need to, we need to have uh, accountability within our algorithms in AI. Uh, starting with facial uh, recognition, and uh, when I saw that, uh, uh, I'm not in that field deeply. I'm related to that field, uh, and I did a little bit in it, but not much. Uh, but my thinking is, yeah, there's facial recognition, but how deep does it go? Mm -hmm. Because AI touches so many things of of making decisions that we allow machines to make decisions for us. Yes. And machines are not humans. They don't bring that human element in. And the movie really got into some of the other things that, I mean, facial recognition is scary enough because it's new, but algorithms are already dictating the courses of our lives. And they brought in some stories. I guess I could pull up the cast list again. Um, the story of the teacher, Daniel Santos, middle school Daniel teacher. Daniel Santos, yes. So in the, I believe it was the Houston school district, he had one teacher of the year uh, two times in 10 years in the whole district. And then he'd won teacher of the month and he'd had um, commendations and he'd had performance reviews from his administrators and he was always above board. They implemented a system that numerically assigned an algorithm to teachers and he was recommended for removal. And he's like, I, I've worked hard. I've been a good teacher. I've been recognized as a good teacher by my peers and by my students. And an algorithm comes in and says, you should fire this guy against the recommendation of everything, against all. And so he got the, the union to go to bat for him, which I said at the time is a good argument for unions um, to have somebody to go to bat for you, you know? And, and he got, he didn't get sacked, but that was a small victory. And I guess the, the filmmaker's point of view was, this is happening in a lot of places with employment with credit That's scores, right. with whether or not you get a loan, with whether or not you get a credit card, with whether or not you have access to money or housing or, or a job. Algorithmically, this is being decided. And that may not be a good thing because we can't just trust that these algorithms are right. Sometimes the companies that employ these algorithms, that deploy these algorithms, they're opaque. We don't know what the algorithms are doing from the outside. And you don't have any recourse to say, I think the algorithm was wrong. They say, no, we just go by what the algorithm says. Go back, go back to the uh, to the cast. Mm -hmm. I, I should have that. Uh, 
one of the uh, characters was uh, Issa Mae Downs, uh, and uh, she was a Brooklyn resident uh, right there. And uh, what I really, really liked what she said, very logical, very straightforward. And Issa Mae, I, I, hopefully I'm pronouncing her right, her name correctly, Issa Mae, uh, Miss Downs, Miss uh, Issa Mae, she said, you know, yeah, these these successes are fine, but you can't stop there. Mm-hmm. You got to keep going. It's going to keep happening. You got to not stop events. You have to stop the pattern of events. And see, she had such a great insight on what needed to be done. And so they interviewed a lot of good, good people with good insight and good uh, and good uh, uh, issues and uh, arguments. There were very strong arguments all the way, all the way across the board. Yeah, I would say, to be honest, there were a couple storylines. There was Joy and her realization that open source facial recognition software was inadequate. And then she took her studies to Microsoft, IBM, Amazon. And the fascinating thing was when she published her study about Amazon's facial recognition program being biased, Amazon's um, vice president or whatever, he released and says, no, they're off. Their, their research is wrong. Uh, their research ha- has no merit. That was his response. And there's a, a scene of her and her research partners reacting to it. And it's like some of the stuff he said was just technically inaccurate. And people just believe this guy because he's a, a white guy that's a vice president at Amazon. But he's just saying lies or mistruths or falsehoods. And and it's frustrating. He's like, when you're a, a woman of color trying to put stuff forward, it's easy for them to discredit you because you don't look like them. And conversely, she said, when I... Pro- presented this data to IBM, they flew me in, they had me present the data, they got a team together and they replicated the data from my study. And then within two months, they patched the API and they pulled the numbers up to near parity. So it wasn't like 60% accuracy for uh, women of color, 99% accuracy for white men. It was 99% accuracy for white men, 97, 98% for women of color. And the interesting thing that she says, and her point is extraordinarily well taken, is that the fundamentals didn't change. The technology didn't change. Someone had to point out that it was poor it did poorly against this subgroup and without someone on the outside pointing that out they may have never noticed that and just started deploying that technology and that's crazy it was the way the algorithm was applied so the the math is a math actually kathy o'neill was also uh, she wrote the book um, uh weapons. weapons of math math destruction kathy o'neill and and she's a mathematician and so she says look uh the algorithms do what they do, but when you feed them, when you have uh, uh, program learning and you feed them data, uh, and that data will lead you to a, a conclusion, that data could be biased, and it is biased. Mm-hmm. And and that that was another that was another uh, uh, talking point in this film is how the algorithms uh, form their decisions from data, and what data do you use, and uh, who develops the algorithms. And how they put the data together, mm-hmm. and where are they going with it, you know. And so, if all your data—we're talking about facial recognition—if all your data come from white men, then the algorithm will identify white men and not identify anything else. Mm-hmm. And so, and Kathy uh, said, "Look, uh, you, uh, the algorithms do what they do. It's how they're used, and on how they're set up, and how they're used, and how they're programmed." And uh, and then also later in the in the film they start talking about how is it going to be used, and then they go to Europe, in uh, in England, and the way it's used is that like you're saying, David, they say well, if they say, if the algorithm says this, then that's what we're going to that's what we're going to believe. Just know it's wrong, and uh, they're starting to believe the machines over uh, human judgment, and that's really really dangerous. Yeah, and in Europe, so that's where this lady comes in, Silky Carlo, the director of Big Brother Watch. Um, yes. They're deploying facial recognition systems. They have a 98% false positive. Um, and it's typically, 
I, I don't know. That, that's, this is the way it was portrayed in the film. I don't know the numbers. But it looked like any black person would ping, oh, this is a criminal. And they take them off to the side. They start asking them questions. They take their fingerprints. They get their ID. And then they let them go because the thing was wrong. But it's like, that doesn't seem right to me, you know? So a machine false positives you, and you have to deal with the police for 20 minutes on your way to work? You lose your job because the police are fingerprinting you while you're supposed to be at work? Like, everything about that seems wrong to me. And so there's, it's no wonder to me why Silky Carlo and her group, the big, what's it called? Big Brother Watch? Big Brother Watch UK. Yes. Uh, it's no wonder to me why that group exists. Because right. the, just the current deployment of these facial recognition systems seems onerous. Now, if it's onerous now, what's it going to be like in the future? That's, I mean, that's the question. And then they, the movie takes us all over the globe. It takes us to China, and it sees how it's used. Um, how did you feel about the Chinese portion of the movie? Well, um, it, I, I didn't have a, a different opinion of, of the Chinese portion. Uh, I was really concerned with the UK portion. Uh, and the UK portion in Europe, uh, they, uh, I, I kept thinking, going back to the UK before mm -hmm. we get to China, I kept thinking that, uh, well, you look at the police and the police say, why are the police doing that? Well, the police are just doing their job. Who told them to do it that way? Mm -hmm. uh, let's back up. Let's, yeah, they are doing their job. And I noticed uh, the, the, it's anecdotal, but the scene that they had was just young 14-year-old kid uh, was the facial recognition said he was, it was a false positive, he was a criminal, but he wasn't. They let him go, but after a while, uh, and you, so you look, oh, look at what the police did. Well, they, that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so it's, so we have to back up and say, wait a minute, be careful. You don't blame the messenger mm -hmm. who are telling them to do that. Uh, and who made the decision that this is how the police are going to act, you know? And so I think the attack needs to be directed toward the source of what is happening here. Uh, and, and not necessarily the, the propagators. Uh, and actually, sometimes they need to stand up and say, wait a minute, uh, I I'm doing this, but I see that it's not right. And so uh, if you make that many mistakes, uh, then maybe there's there's something wrong in the training. There's something wrong in the use of the technology. And uh, they made the point that the uh, that uh, this is just facial recognition and that is being used to profile people or to arrest people to identify people, but that AI is also used for other things too. And uh, like the, the uh, for, for jobs, mm -hmm. for hiring people or firing people. It can also be used for uh, another episode, another part of the uh, film was on voting back in 2016 and how you can identify a, the, the psychological, you, you don't know what these algorithms are doing because they're doing it to individuals. You can't say, oh, this algorithm is looking at this group. No, they're looking at individuals differently. So you're going to look at, at, at 20 million different types of issues and say, here's why this is wrong, here's why this is wrong, here's why this is wrong. It's really difficult to look at the results. You have to look at the source. Because they, are, they were uh, uh, profiling individuals on how, what will make them make a decision, what will make them vote a certain way. Uh, once they found that, well, then they could go in and move uh, their their actions and their decisions the way they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And and that was done on an individual basis, not a group basis. So so how it's used is was not just facial recognition. Uh, it's going deeper and broader and there has to be controls. Another issue, David, that was brought up is that there is no controls on this. Mm -hmm. There is no legislation. There is no. Uh, uh, policing of it. There's no uh, people will identify it. Scientists will say, wait a minute, this is wrong. But there's no legislation. And they did get into the legislation. Joy did. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and the interesting thing was that was the Brooklyn housing tenement um, with Issa Mae Downs and Trinae Moran. They had uh, facial recognition installed instead of key fobs, and they felt like it was extraordinarily intrusive. If there was an altercation in the hallway, they would get an envelope under the door with a picture of them and their apartment next to it. It's like, you were involved in this. Like, that's a strike. And she's like, it seems very Big Brother-esque. I mean, and so they started fighting against this. And there was an interesting one of the authors. And it was a good combination of real-life stories, like the Brooklyn Housing Project uh, residents and um, authors. I forget which one it was. It may have been Virginia Eubanks but saying, you know, you typically think that the technology gets deployed and the wealthy get it and the poor get it later. But now this surveillance technology is deployed against lower income people and only when it's proven viable or once the bugs are ironed out, does it get deployed on, on higher income people. And that's exactly what was happening in, in, in the Brooklyn um, housing project. And they felt like it was invasive. And I'm sure that it was invasive. I'm sure if you lived there, it would feel invasive. And uh, that was a cool subplot with Joy and Trine and Issa Mae Downs sort of saying, we don't want facial recognition to be used as our key fob here. And they won. In the end, the Brooklyn housing, he said, okay, we'll go back to normal key fobs. But Issa Mae Downs said, hey, listen, that's not enough. We know that facial recognition is being deployed all over the place. We know that machine learning is being done to profile people and that it's disadvantageous to us. We need legislation at the state level and the federal level to make sure that this doesn't happen. And that's when Joy said, yes, we do, but that's a conversation for a different time. I wrote a poem about this victory. <laughs> she shares her poem. <laughs> and I think there is some sort of, yes, the fight's not over and it's important to realize that, but you have to take time to sort of celebrate the small victories along the way. I think that was sort of the message of that part. I agree. And Miss Issa May, you are absolutely right. Miss Issa May, I want to say that I really, it was heartwarming to hear your logic, your clear thinking, uh, your logic, your your conclusions and, and moving forward. But also Joy was right too. Let's mm -hmm. celebrate. <laughs> let's come together and say, let's look at where we are. Yeah. Uh, you have to do both. Celebrate where you are and, and where you've come in order to strengthen yourself to move to the future. And uh, so maybe uh, the future, uh, you're not, maybe they weren't moving to the future as fast enough for Miss Isame, but, uh, uh, but also uh, they were moving and they were going. And they're going to do it. Uh, and you move from strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the way you get strong is you celebrate your successes yeah. and bring people together. It was very interesting. It was it was one of the it was a very very good movie. And I, I think uh, the uh, it was a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. No, uh, it's not. That was the other one that we were going to watch. But I thought I saw it on this one. What was what was the percentages then? Let me go. I'll find it. On Rotten Tomatoes, coded bias. Yeah, I thought I thought it was that. So, what are the percentages? Oh, you're right. It is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and 73% uh, in Metacritic. And anyway, uh, so I will give, say, give it, go ahead. You know, you, you said you wanted to talk about Britain. I don't know exactly what point you made um, when I asked you about China, but we have the Chinese lady here, so I do want to talk about this. This is a okay. logical conclusion. So in Britain, they're deploying facial recognition. It's getting false positives. They're using it to harass black people. That's that's what it looked like to me, and that, that might just be anecdotal and what they were able to film in the story. They may have cherry-picked a few false positives, but but that's what it looked like they were using facial recognition for. In China, we see the logical conclusion of the deployment of facial recognition. You pay with your face. You have to submit your face biometrically to be able to access the internet. Every transaction you do has your face and your identity attached to it in China. And the government gets that information from the big three. There's, because we have the big five here, Google, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft. 
Um, they have a big three there. They send it all back to the government and they use that to give you a social credit score. Your social credit score determines what you have access to, what public services you can access. Um, you can't ride buses or trains if your social credit score is too low. So you have to stay in the good graces of the digital um, big brother in order to have access to vital public services. And the girl here, she's she looks like a Zoomer. She's got blue hair. She's skateboarding around. She says, yeah, you know, I pay with my face. It's so convenient. And um, as long as you don't misbehave, your credit score stays high. So when you meet someone, you could ask them what their credit score is. And if it's too low, you can decide not to be friends with them. And if it's too low, they won't get a job, so they don't have any money. So you got to keep your social credit score high. You always have to behave. You always have to play by the rules of the state. And you can use that to help you guide your decisions. You don't want to be associated with someone with a lower score than you because that'll lower your score. And so, and so it's basically like taking decision-making, interpersonal decision-making out of the hands of the individual and giving it to the state. And that is extraordinarily frightening to me. <laughs> but it's fascinating to see someone living in it, someone who, you know, this person could be an activist just by the way they look with the the blue hair and the skateboarding. I think that might even be a neck tattoo. Um, we're looking at a picture of her. Um, but she's not an activist. She's in this system. They tell her this is the way the system works, and she's fine with it. Now, from outside the system, we say that's absolutely horrifying. Um, but if you're in it and it's working for you, you know, you're sort of oblivious to it. And it's it sort of echoes, I think, in a way, the fact that Joy was able to identify a fatal flaw because it happened to her, whereas the engineers that designed these facial recognition systems, they didn't see that fatal flaw because it didn't happen to them. Well, to conclude, the argument, uh, a bigger argument here is uh, using machines to make decisions. Mm -hmm. The antithesis to that is having humans make decisions. Well, machines, as shown in China, they'll say, oh, well, you have your social score and everyone walks the line. Everyone does the same thing. Everything does everything right. And if you do everything right, you have a high score. If you have a high score, then this is exactly the kind of person you should be. And don't deviate from that. But humans deviate from that all the time and uh and uh you know lately david we've been watching hamilton to bring hamilton in uh uh alexander hamilton didn't fit the mold no he he was not he would have had a really low social score and what he did what our founding fathers did in the United States back in the 1700s, they would have had a really low China, social score in China. Mm -hmm, because they were against the crown. They're totally against everything. But they came together and they created a nation that, was, that became one of the strongest nations in the world. And so you say the China, the China approach what are you trying to do? What's going to be the result of that? If you make everybody the same, if everyone has the same high social score because everyone does everything right, is that good from a human standpoint? Or do you let everybody be individuals and you learn to agree to disagree, you learn to uh, come together and work things out and sometimes controversy can make your your position even stronger. Uh, and sometimes you modify your position to make it stronger. And is that going to be a human way to do it? And so this clash between artificial intelligence that pushes the machine decision making and human intelligence that pushes human decision making, uh, how will they come together and how will they coexist? And I think that's the bigger issue uh, that that this movie was trying to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I think and I think that's exactly uh, the challenge of the future. Uh, and the challenge is not just with the scientists. 
the challenge is going down to the actual legislators, our politicians, to our business people, uh, to society, uh, to speak up and say, ask questions and say, is this right? Uh, but I guess before we leave, uh, when you do that, you have to talk and you have to listen more than you talk mm -hmm. <laughs> and try to understand what the other person is saying. You don't just say, here's what I think and I'm not gonna listen to you. And that's kind of what AI does. It's true. Although the movie does a good job of pointing out the China model as scary as it is because it's foreign to us. The China model optimizes for control, for state control. And it keeps people in line by virtue of sort of a totalitarian surveillance state. And they say, that's scary, but the US model is pretty scary too. The US model exploits the most vulnerable and benefits the least vulnerable by virtue of AI and algorithms that are directed at maximizing wealth for the wealthy and sort of using it by sort of preying on the poor in a predatory way. Whether it's high interest loans, whether it's gambling, um, you know, substance abuse, the, the ads get targeted in a way where there's no protection for anyone. Whereas in China, it's, we're protecting the state by putting everyone under wraps. In America, it's we're not protecting anyone and we're letting AI run amok. So you could say, both models are somewhat horrifying if you look at them in the right light. That's true. That's true. In the China, it's political power. and the United States, it's financial power. But to go back to China, I do want to read a quote from Steve Jobs. It's a famous quote. I'm not a Steve Jobs guy, but this is probably his most famous quote. And like you said, you'll stifle innovation. If you make everyone behave the same way, you know, a lot of the great innovations in human history have come because people sort of buck the trend. And I think a lot of times too, people buck the trend and they're wrong and they get culled from the herd without needing some sort of social credit score. And it allows everyone else to see, oh, those people were wrong, so they lost, but they had some ideas that we can incorporate into the main line of thinking. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. But let's get to the Steve Jobs quote. I'll read it real quick verbatim. Here we go. Steve Jobs, quote, when you grow up, you tend to get told that the world is the way it is and your life is just to live your life inside the world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Try to have a nice family life. Have fun. Save a little money. That's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact. Everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it. You can influence it. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. <laughs> that is so true. That's a good quote. I mean, I'm That's not the really biggest Steve Jobs fan, but I think that one's true. That, yeah, that is good. That is good. It'll never be the same once you once you realize that you have something to contribute and what you contribute is yours. Mm -hmm. It's not what someone tells you to contribute. The fascinating thing, though, is the social credit score. Yes, there is real consequences for having a low social credit score. Um, but I think that societies have done that in many ways throughout human history. They haven't That's... quantified it algorithmically, but gossip and, you know, I just, someone gets demoted on the social totem pole, they can't have access to certain services within the society. It's been a thing. It's not the first time we've seen this in history. It's the first time we've seen algorithms sorting it out, but someone's reputation and where that leaves them in terms of standing with society, that's that's been a constant, hasn't it? Yes, and we have in the United States too. Just look at the uh, uh, the differences of salaries, differences of pay scales, differences of promotions, differences of in in business and in the society. Uh, it, we we have it everywhere. Uh, China has just uh, um, measured it. Yes. <laughs> they put it in a score. Well, and then if we go back real quick, one more story before we quit. I think we need to talk about Latanya Myers. This was sad. So they're talking about parolees 
they'll have algorithmic determination of whether or not you're a risk of recidivism, whether or not you're going to be a criminal again. So Latanya Myers was a criminal. They didn't say what she did. She got parole. She found gainful employment. She volunteered. She was an activist in her community trying to keep kids from going into a life of crime. She'd received two commendations from the city council for her volunteer work while maintaining a full-time job. Now, the algorithms that determine, are you going to commit a crime again? One of the heaviest weights is zip code. And they said that's an analog for race. I mean, a lot of, so she got flagged as a high risk for committing a crime again. And she says, I've been working my butt off for two years to be a model parolee, to do everything right. And this computer comes back and says, you're a high risk because of where you live. And I have to go in and meet in person with my parole officer every single week for an hour. And it's like, that's cramping my style. I'm doing things in the world. I'm accomplishing these things. And I tell my parole officer, you know me. I've done all this stuff. And you know that this one hour a week that I have to come in and meet with you instead of checking in by phone is keeping me from doing good in the community. And the parole officer said, yeah, I know, but there's nothing I could do about it. The algorithm says you're high risk. And that seems off, right? And so it's like, don't say it can't happen here. It is happening here. It's just, I guess the point of the whole movie and the point of Joy discovering that open source facial recognition software is biased against her is one thing. But the way that plays out with Daniel being told he's a bad teacher, with Latanya being told she's going to be a criminal again, that's the end effect of it. And so the movie does a good job of drawing a straight line to Joy sort of noticing something weird with the software because she's in software to this has real world consequences when you deploy algorithms that aren't really sensible. Um, it can be a harsh miscarriage of justice at that point, and it's happening today. And it's not happening to people like you or me. It's happening to people like Latanya Myers. And that's what's sad. And that's the fascinating thing about, I think, racial injustice or any injustice whatsoever. If you don't experience it personally through lived experience, it's difficult to realize that it's actually there. But if someone does the work to show it to you, like Shalini did in this documentary, Shalini Kantaya, like Joy is doing with her research, like Kathy's doing um, with her work, you sort of realize this is a real thing. This is a real threat. And this is creating a society that's unfair. And I think that's I, what's great about this movie, perhaps even more than The Social Dilemma, is that it really did lean into what's you know a female technologist perspective and a female person of color technologist perspective and then also how does that play out in stories in the real world whether it's daniel santos or latonya myers or the women in the brooklyn uh housing projects i i felt like the story that this movie drew was a very clear logical thought out line from this happened and it was a little quirky but what are the implications of this quirky thing happening? And wow, you see it play out in the world and this discrimination does exist in the world and you wouldn't know that it existed unless someone told the story, unless it happened to you. If it doesn't happen to you, someone has to tell you the story. And that's what this movie is great for. Mm-hmm. Well, when Joy began telling the story, then things began to emerge. Stories began to emerge to say, oh, I see what you're saying and it happened to me. And so now you have all of these uh, stories throughout that it has happened, but then Joy gave uh, a theme of here is what is happening, and then these stories would come and support exactly her thesis, mm-hmm. and uh, and it and it revealed uh, many things. And actually, she also uh, uh, began to address uh, legislation. Yes. And uh, yep. And so uh, and they started moving uh, toward. Uh, Changing things with mis- with uh, with uh, legislation, and and um, and they actually gave uh, and gave uh, actually the uh, what was her name uh, Miss Isame. She also was very uh, adamant about hey we need to we need to change the laws we need to change 
how things are being done in mm -hmm. our country. And, uh, and they were, and they were starting to move in that direction. Now, yeah, and I do think, you know, state level, and they did show at the end, city of San Francisco, city in Massachusetts or something, the cities start to ban facial recognition technology right. by their police officers. And then you have, you know, people taking it up at the state level. The federal government won't use facial recognition. Um, and so there's action on it, but it's not you know, wholesale. It's not like federal government banned it for use on federal properties or something, not, or by federal agencies. But that doesn't mean that the federal government can't deploy it to state bureaus of investigation or, you know, local police officers to use it. Um, so it could be in use. There's just an end around. I, I, but the, the fact that the, what the movie showed was, was people and, what I liked about Joy a lot is that she was very optimistic. Um, and that maybe not optimistic, but she saw a problem and she confronted it and she got results without really being angry or militant about it. She got results by doing the work, by doing the research, by saying, this is wrong, by, by sort of seeing a future that could exist and pursuing it and not really by complaining, you know? Uh, by promoting solutions. Yes. She, and, she got results. Instead of complaining about the problem, she promoted, passionately promoted solutions. Yes. And that's why she was a great person to sort of frame the whole movie around. Because I think that, I, I, I don't know, I can't speak to the lived experience of women of color but i i think that joy one of the reasons she was able to get results is because she was determined but also not off-putting it was she's sort of happy-go-lucky but she's like hey yeah you're totally wrong <laughs> i did the research and your algorithm sucks uh you know we did a mathematical analysis and your statistical um projections are way out of whack and but it was just matter of fact it's like, do you want do you, do you care to fix it? And IBM did bring her in, and mm -hmm. did fix it. And she had a great point. Once IBM brought her in and fixed it, she's like, okay. So now they've brought, you know, parity for women of color and facial recognition. The question is, how are you going to deploy that? You know, that wasn't her goal. Her goal wasn't to have facial recognition recognize women of color as much as white people. It's like now there's the next step. You're going to use this in the real world, and it's one thing to have the accuracy be there but if the accuracy is used to discriminate against these people what was the point of any of this and so uh, the 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 cause for constant vigilance is implied in that statement yes even though even though that was successful that opens up doors to other uh, problems in the future so how are you going to use it now so it was used it, it gave uh, biased results Mm -hmm. But now that the bias is taken out, but then ethically, how how will you use it? And so it moved from bias to, to ethical application. So it, there is a number of things that that uh, that each person, all the people that talked in, in this movie, they brought some extremely good points moving mm -hmm. forward. And that's that was the strength of, of this film, of this documentary. It wasn't just one person. Joy was excellent in what she was saying, but Joy was also good in bringing other voices in. What Kathy uh, had, Kathy O'Neill had to say, it was extremely strong. Yeah, and everyone, everyone was strong. And Kathy was in the uh, algorithmic justice Justice League as well. I thought that was cool. Yes. Um. And yeah, so I I would I can't recommend this movie enough. It was fantastic. I thought the characters that they chose, the characters being real people because it's a documentary, were good. The experts, Zeynep Tufeki, Meredith Broussard, Virginia Eubanks, um, they provided commentary that was interesting. The people working in the field, like Silky Carlo, Ravi Naik, um, Deborah Raji, uh, Mark Uden, they were great. And the real life stories of Trinae Morgan, Issa Mae Downs, um, Kiri Soares and Latanya Myers and Daniel Santos, 
that also provided incredible context. And I think the combination of the three, just have, building it around experts that are working, experts that are thinking about it, and then um, people whose story, lives are affected by this, made for a great documentary. Yeah, it was very well done, very well designed, very well produced, very well presented, and very just overall well done. So I th I mean, I would recommend it. Would you recommend it? Absolutely, yes. I agree with 100% uh, evaluate. That actually, what what I like uh, probably most about it is that uh, it, it it provides a platform to not sit still. It's a platform to 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 move forward. Mm -hmm. And when you when you look at it, you say, yeah, something needs to be done. And it's and and it's not like something needs to be done in a very responsible way in a very deliberate, responsible way where change is gonna be lasting and change is gonna be positive and good. And that's that's my, my takeaway from the film. I really liked it for that purpose. Mm -hmm. And I liked it because Joy showed you can be an activist and you can be an activist on issues of vital importance, but you don't have to be angry. <laughs> she seemed like she had a very good perspective on life and maybe that's just you know, who she is but she was optimistic and yet she was realistic and she was getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. And the whole time it wasn't a tragedy. I mean, it was a tragedy. Like the you know, systemic discrimination of algorithms is tragic. But she said, but we gotta work against it. Let's you know, do a study and show how it's you know, negatively affecting this community. Now, let's see what we can do to change that. And she's forming the Algorithmic Justice League and she's getting stuff done. Um, and the, the vibe I get is hope. It's hope for change and it's work for change. It's not anger, like self-destructive anger, where it's like, we're gonna be so angry that we're never going to accomplish anything. It's, we're going to recognize that there's a problem and we're gonna say, how do we fix this? And I think that's a lesson that anyone can use in any walk of life. And I think a good lesson, a practical lesson, is that if she was not that way, there's no way that she would go into IBM and they would listen to her and change their algorithms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would never happen. And so people today really want to be angry and if that's true well then stop uh, th this movie gives pause to those people why are you angry do you want to change things if you want to change things then stop being angry and try and try to be part of the solution mm -hmm. just like what joy did stop being angry and get to work stop being angry because that's <laughs> not going to help anybody it might help you feel good but it's not gonna it's not gonna solve anything. Mm -hmm. uh, start thinking about solutions and working together. Another about another aspect in this uh, in this movie uh, from a uh, a broader view is because of her personality. Look how many people she brought in to this mm -hmm. uh, this, and it wasn't just we, we mentioned a lot of them, but there's a lot more than that. I yes. mean, it goes on and on and on. Legislators, uh, everyone, uh, you don't. It's not a problem working with Joy because she is so uh, logical. She's smart, really smart, but she's nice, and she's focused on a solution. And if you can be part of the solution, then then come and join me, mm -hmm. no matter who you are. And if she's almost like the uh, she's like the example. She's she's being an example of what she wants other people to be. Mm -hmm. You know, be like be like Joy and and work with everyone it was very interesting yep and i mean as a one more caveat she's also taking on the companies that are most likely to hire you with a high six-figure salary or you know mid six-figure salary um out of her program it's fascinating like you know i think that a lot of her colleagues are probably employed by these companies that she's saying hey what you're doing is wrong so I think it's fascinating. It, it requires ba bravery that you don't really see because of her, her attitude. But what she's doing is extraordinarily brave. And it's, extra like, right. it's showing a lot of courage, but it sort of gets glossed over because she's got such an affable you know, attitude. Uh, but I think we're running out of time. So all I can say is if you have a chance to see Coded Bias, the 2020 film, by Shalini Kantaya. 
It's available right now for viewing on Netflix if you have a Netflix uh, subscription, and I can't recommend it enough. And I'll roll, uh, I I'll roll the outro music. Okay, I agree too. I recommend this movie. Uh, it is strong, and the characters are fantastic. And uh, one thing that they did, as the music plays in uh, our podcast, always says at the end, is that one thing this movie did and one thing that we will encourage people to do is, is keep talking and talk and talk, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Goodbye. Bye.